Are you ready? It's time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. You heard it. It is time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gray, here with my co-host, Tom Abbey. Cheers, everybody. It is Super Bowl week, Tom. Absolutely. Uh, lots to talk about tonight. Welcome to our annual, now our second annual, Propapalooza episode. Propapalooza, a lot of fun. I was just looking through some other random ones. Uh, it is amazing the things they let you bet on these days. Yeah, no question. Last year, I was fortunate enough to, on this exact podcast, predict the exact final score of the game at 31-20 right. uh, for Kansas City. And I cashed in a plus 400 wager when I was at Turning Stone that weekend for the Chiefs to win by 7 to 12 points. So uh, hopefully we can have some similar fortune this year with a, you know, close prediction to what's going to happen. The chances of landing right on the number again are not good. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, let's let's hope we're on the right side again. So let's kick off the show, Tom, by talking about last week, uh, what we're going to do this week, and then yeah. how we did last week. Yeah, lots of fun. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit of the NFL news this week. We're going to do a little Senior Bowl recap. Just uh, briefly, don't want to get too deep into it. We're going to talk each about a couple guys who kind of stood out to us. Um, then we're going to go over some UFC Fight Night, a really fun card this weekend for Super Bowl Sunday or Super Bowl Saturday. Excuse then me, but you said we don't want to get too deep into it. That's not true. I <laughs> want to get too deep into it, but for the sake of time, yeah, right. I can't get too deep into it. For tonight's podcast, yeah. we will not get too deep into it. Uh, Super Bowl preview. We're going to talk a little bit about when Tampa Bay has the ball, what Kansas City has the ball, what we're looking to see. And then, of course, Propapalooza. And then we're going to do some picks. We're going to waste management picks. We're going to have some UFC picks. And, of course, our Super Bowl pick. All right. Let's Lost kick it right off, Tom. Uh, let's give a review of our not-so-great showing on the oh, top 10s last week. Last week's our top 10. And, and granted, we did take a couple swings for top 10, plus 600, 900, 480, 470. Yeah. We were not taking any uh, favorites by any stretch. But, woof, did not go well. Um, I had one guy miss the cut and another guy finish way out of it after making the cut and then falling back the last two days. I had a withdrawal from uh, <laughs> Matthew Wolf, who pulled out uh, in Never the second round. Yeah. Uh, Cameron Smith. Started out, had a great day one. Day two, I think he shot like 79, 80, yeah. somewhere in there. I mean, something that would be akin to a good day for me. Yeah. So Wasn't the best day of my life. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. All right. So, you know, we'll, we'll have some more picks today. And, um, you know, hopefully we can we can fare a little better with the waste management team that's open. So Yeah. Got uh, to get a feel for how some of these guys are playing. I think that's kind of was tough last week. So. Let's talk about the big NFL news that we had over the Absolutely. last week. Uh, obviously headlined by the big trade, Matthew Stafford going to the Rams for Jared Goff, two first-round picks and a third-round pick. It's a big haul for, for Detroit. Huge haul. I think that it was the, the right choice um, for the Lions to you know move on from somebody who wanted to move on. Yeah. You get a capable replacement, and then you add two additional first-round picks over the next two years. Yep. So it, it's really a 
I, I think a nice haul for the Lions here. Yeah, I think for the Lions it's great. You get someone stepping right away, so you're not really hunting this year, even though you could. I mean, they could find somebody this year. But you have those two first-round picks the next two seasons. So if Goff doesn't pan out over the next two years, you can bounce and use your two first-round picks in these two rounds to, to go and get somebody else. Yeah. And, you know, that, that draft leverage can be so valuable for teams in rebuilding and overhauling and building a team in your own image. I mean, they're going through a coaching change. This, is a, this was an opportunity for them. Yeah. And, I, like I said, I think Goff is capable. I don't think he's great. I don't think that yeah. he – I think he's a middle-of-the-road quarterback in the NFL. 100%. And if you can have someone – they didn't have to go to a complete overhaul with, you know – committing to a first round early first round pick at a quarterback position if there's somebody else that stands out to them and they don't want to draft a quarterback right at the beginning of the draft they don't have to at this point yeah and golf's good enough to win games it's, yeah. it's you know and we've seen quarterbacks similar to him win super bowl so yeah. it's not out of the question you just have to have everything go kind of right around him to put him in a good spot particularly if they have a strong running game you yes. know golf's biggest success was when Gurley was at his peak play action yeah and you you get that play action game going and golf can su- can succeed in that uh much like uh, he reminds me very much of ryan Tannehill. i think that those two guys i think that's a really good comparison those less two athletic players. ryan Tannehill. a little less fair? athletic yeah i think that is yeah, he's pretty damn athletic but <laughs> you're, you're <laughs> not kidding yeah but uh, what about the rams side here kev I, I think that it's a nice ad for the rams i think their perspective on it i heard this today is that they feel that bottom end first round picks are not as valuable as people think. So that they don't feel that trading away these first round picks is damning to them. Sure. And Stafford gives them an opportunity to win now. He's a clear upgrade over Goff, but not dramatic. Yeah. I have a few thoughts about it. I think first, I think it's, I don't say irresponsible to get rid of these many, this many picks for one player like this. But I think it puts you in a spot where you could really get second guessed here really easy. Stafford comes and has another back injury this year, and they're four and twelve, and they're picking in the top five, and they're awful. Yuck. Good yeah. luck. Good luck talking to your fan base about it. Um, so I mean, it definitely opens you up for risk. But you got to take a swing once in a while. I think for when you're looking at them, this this regime in, in L.A. now have been there for a little bit. They've been all right. They got to the Super Bowl. They've been knocking out of that door. So, I mean, if they think this is what's going to get them over the hump, that makes sense. If not, they're probably out after two years anyways, and it's going to be somebody else's problem. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, you know, that's very possible. So it, it is time to take a big swing if you're the Rams. Th- this, is, yep. this is a perfect opportunity for them to say, hey, let, let's see what we can accomplish here with somebody that we feel is stronger-armed quarterback. They're definitely stronger-armed. Yeah. I, I wonder how he'll fit their system. Obviously, McVay knows his system better than I would. But I just feel like when I see the kind of throws that we're used to seeing um, Matt Stafford make, it's not the same kind of stuff I see them doing in, in L.A. But maybe that changes when they bring him in there. Maybe they're able to scale some of that up. I think McVay is really good at scheming up an offense. I think he may have boosted Goff a little bit oh, sure. throughout the course of Goff's career. Walford came in and looked pretty darn good while he yeah. was playing when he, he had was to plug right. in and that's somebody nobody had ever really heard of so i think matt stafford could end up seeing a, an uptick in his statistics which is pretty impressive because he's had he's had good numbers and i like the i, I really do like the uh weapons that they have around absolutely uh, their running game seems to be developing yeah. so um i think both sides 
this is the rare situation where I think both sides did okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, we judge trades three years late from now, so we'll we'll see three years looking back. Swing yeah, or miss. Absolutely. Uh, the next big news is the Houston Texans named a coach finally. Uh, they went with David Cully. Um, you know, it seemed like this was trending this way for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing super exciting for my on my end here. It's a solid hire. We'll see where she goes. I think he's inheriting an insane mess in Houston. This is this is one that's going to be wait and see, but I don't like what's going on in the front office there, and yeah. I feel like he could end up in a, a very short relationship as the head coach because they may end up wiping the rest of their front office, and, and you'll have a new leadership, and they'll want their own guy, and this could be a few uh, a few years yeah. before everything is yeah, really hashed out in Houston. Yeah, it seems like a mess there. And I don't know if they'll have the patience for him. You know, that's the big thing. Yeah, you know, you have to – there's been a few instances recently I've seen. I know that, uh, speaking personally from, like, Buffalo, when McDermott and Bean kind of came in, they were basically told, don't worry about results the first couple of years. We, we understand this is going to take time. And I think that gave them the freedom to kind of do what they needed to do. I mean, they traded everybody. Yeah. And I'm not sure every GM – or owner rather gives them the same kind of understanding message like hey it's gonna be a minute i get it so right let's so yeah let's uh let's talk some on. senior bowl yeah and uh this is where i have uh i had i had to try to throttle myself back while i was doing my prep for the show today yeah. because you know how excited i get about this stuff it's just it, it really gets my juices flowing to talk about draft prospects and uh, trying to project what you're going to see here. So, uh, Tom, start off with somebody that stood out to you. I think one of the most obvious ones was Michael Carter. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, uh, to a casual fan, and I'm being very uh, polite about it, uh, my fiance Hannah saw this guy running as she's, like, in the living room, sees him running around goes, wow, that guy's really good. Is he an NFL player already? Right. <laughs> like, just the – just visually seeing him against the rest of them, it stood out to her. Uh, no, he's not, but he will be. <laughs> but, yeah, I think you could just see his quickness and his uh, his burst is definitely on a level that a lot of those college players just can't match. And it'll be interesting to see where he goes. I think his his size will be something that's talked about for all the way up until April, uh, maybe some, some height deficiencies there i don't think that's an issue at his position i i agree but uh, it was already something i've seen that uh his size is something of concern you know is he an every down back it becomes the kind of conversation people have with him so mm, i guess we'll see talent wise I, it's obviously there but yeah the you know the work the workhorse kind of conversations I, I don't know that he's going to be an every down back i don't know that he'll go that early i think that yeah you know if he proves himself with his catching skills at his pro day, I think that's going to be a big factor. I don't. I didn't happen to see how well he caught the ball throughout the Senior Bowl practice weeks. Yeah. Um, but if you have a guy like that that can be a third down back, a change of pace back, there's a role for that in the NFL. And sometimes those guys end up taking number one jobs for a period of time. Chris Johnson came out as just an all-speed guy. He was electric. He could make moves, and he was all-speed. And then he had a 2,000-yard season rushing the ball. So it's not that it can't be done. It's The question is the longevity out of those guys if they're used in every down yeah. capacity. Um, for me, 
he was on my list. Um, I had some wide receiver prospects. I had three of them uh, that, that popped for me. I have two, so there yeah. probably be two that just don't. Potentially. Uh, Demet- Demetric Felton, um, who was a wide receiver running back, comes out of UCLA. He's really versatile. They weren't sure how well he would pick up the route running stuff because he's kind of making the transition to wide receiver now. Um, after his se- his senior season in college, <laughs> he can do so many things, and he's explosive. Uh, the, he caught a touchdown in the Senior Bowl itself. He looked great throughout practice that week. He's he's going to test really well at his pro day. So I, I think that that's a name to watch out for moving up the board. Um, Dwayne Eskridge, um, he's another guy. He's an explosive playmaker. He just popped off the screen in practices. He, he catches everything with ease. He has the ability to run with the ball, um, run after the catch, uh, punt returns, kickoff returns. He's a dynamic player, and because he went to a small school in the MAC, he didn't necessarily get all the attention coming into this. Yeah. But he showed himself as one of the top two or three receivers throughout the course of the Senior Bowl week. Yeah, I lo- I loved him. I saw I didn't see much of him in the game really do anything that kind of stood out, but um, seeing reports just all week about how his separation and his ability to get free um, in the practices and in the, a lot of the one-on-ones. Yeah. I mean, he, he put guys in, in the mixer, you know, at times. And uh, I, I think that he, you know, he would show, he, like, double move type stuff or just at the top of his route, he, the way he would break down and create quick separation, it was easy for him. Uh, another guy did that throughout the week, um, and that was Kadarius Tony from Florida. He created separation with ease. Uh, my concern is it looked like he had a little bit of the dropsies at times. Yes. Yeah, so I'm okay with that if he can fix it. But he creates so much separation. He looked like the best wide receiver. His route running is still a work in progress, but does that really matter if he's creating the separation? It, it, it will against a really great corner. Yeah. Uh, but he's going to be an explosive option for people. I don't know if he'll get into the first round. He's going to be yeah. really close. He's going to yeah. be right there on the edge. I think I think a lot. You see a lot of receivers like that um, with the top end speed and ability, but maybe not you know the rounded skills. That that's what the second round's for. Yeah, uh, yeah. So my two are not on your list. I had Amari Rogers. I think watch, especially game watching, just a playmaker. So yeah. all, always making plays. The the couple catches he made were in traffic, taking big yeah. hits, hanging on the ball. Pretty impressive. And then Desmond Fitzpatrick. Yeah. He was awesome. Yeah. I was, I was really impressed with him. In the game? Yes. Just yeah. all over the place, making catches. Uh, he had the one, the little toe tapper where it looked like he got the old college yeah. one foot, but he actually dragged his other one. And yeah. So, I mean, just some, some guys who were really making plays. This wide receiver class is really good. It, it, it lacks some of the top end. I mean, you've got Jamar Chase and, and – uh, yeah. Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, those are your top three guys. Yeah, I'm not sure Waddle belongs in the same group as those two. We'll we'll kind of see as I look more at him, but I think just he's so fast. He's so yeah. he's so dynamite. Um his injury slowed him a little bit this year. Yeah. But he's gonna run in the four twos. I mean, he's so dynamite. Uh, a lot of people give the Tyreek Hill comparison. Um he's just not as he's not built as stout as yeah. Tyreek Hill is. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see kind of. Yeah. I heard uh, 
I think it was Todd McShay was talking about how the big thing for both the both the Alabama wide receivers will be how much they weigh. Jalen Waddle reminds me of Mike Wallace. They found it interesting that Devonta Smith refused to weigh in. I don't think it matters. I, I think I, it does. I don't think it, I don't think it does. I, I mean, I really don't. Not for performance on the field. I don't think it matters. He's 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 played against the best defenses in college football and continued to be productive. Creates tons of separation constantly. Has tremendous uh, run after the catch ability. And he he shows stronger than his. But frame. we're already talking about injuries in college, and uh, he's you know moving up to the big leagues. You're gonna get bigger guys hitting you faster. Devontae Smith, I mean, same he, thing. He he didn't Hurt. he didn't have a lot of the the injury issues. So sure. Um, Except I, for this week. Well, you know, it yeah. is what it is. You get banged up, and the you know, it, you yeah. know it's just. I'm just saying, I like when when you're an NFL scout and you're seeing a guy who's never played 16 games in an, in his life in mm-hmm. a season. And you're seeing that they're undersized. It's definitely something um, NFL teams. Todd McShay went as far as saying some GMs, obviously not all. Some GMs will see a weight and remove them automatically. Well, what What is it that you're looking for at the position? That's what matters. Every team has things that they decide like is the a disqualifier. Inch, yeah, like the 30-inch lim- arms for the Bills. Right. It, 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 it's, a, it's a disqualifier for certain teams in certain situations. Yeah. So. I mean, if you're looking for a dynamic run-after-the-catch guy that creates easy separation, that's Devontae Smith. You don't really care what his weight is. You can put on 10, 12 pounds of muscle uh, over the course of the next couple of years. You hear that, Bama? Yeah. Get him in the weight room. Well, so um, I had a couple more players that stood out to me. Uh, how yeah, about I've you? I have two more. Okay. Uh, um, you go ahead. K.J. Britt, one yeah. of your boys yeah, from mm-hmm. Auburn. Mm-hmm. All over the place. He makes plays. He's not going to test well. He, he's yeah. not super fast. He's not a big thumper. Uh, he's kind of in between, and yeah. but he makes plays on the field. He looks like a football player. Yeah. I know it's a stupid thing to say, a cliche thing, but he really does. He looks like a linebacker. He hits like a linebacker. It was kind of fun to see him out there. Yeah. Um, don't have a ton of exposure to him. Obviously, you being an Auburn fan, I see him a lot. But I wish I'd seen more tackle productivity out of him. That was yeah. the big thing for me is like, um, he didn't lead the team in tackles, and he was kind of the, the leader of the defense. Yeah. Uh, Zacoby McClain led the team in tackles. He decided to come back for his senior year. So um, that'll be, you know, he Zacoby McClain's a faster, like, kind of zips around the field yeah. and, and makes tackles on the edges a little better than Britt does. Britt has had a little bit of trouble pursuing stuff to the edges, so he doesn't have that kind of speed, and that would be the, the – Testing will be big for him. Right, and I don't know – you know how high he'll climb on draft boards because I think he's a two-down linebacker. Yeah, and linebackers are uh, pretty deep this year. Yeah, I'm thinking. Um, I have Trey Brown is a cornerback from Oklahoma, and you you didn't really see it in the game, but you know what? It, it's good to not see a cornerback show up. One hundred percent in the game. If they don't show up, it means they weren't targeted. It means they were doing their job. <laughs> Uh, I saw him in a lot of like zone coverage stuff, like in the in the team drills, and he looked to be in the right place. I heard one of the coaches coaching him up saying, "You were too high in your back pedal on on one of the plays." He ended up closing and was really close um, to Kadarius Tony in practice, but you know he, he, there are technical things he's going to need to work on. But he's a playmaker. He made a huge play in the uh, Big Twelve championship game. It's something that he's got a history of doing. Um, he had a big sack for a safety. Um, he's projected probably as a slot corner. This is a guy that you won't see go until day three. Yeah. 
but during practice he had two interceptions this week uh, during senior bowl practices. He was blanketing big guys, even though he, he has a smaller frame. It's just one of those things where I saw somebody that, that looks like a football player out there. It doesn't matter his size, his testing, any of that stuff. He looks like he's going to make it work as a nickel corner or a slot corner in the NFL. And there are so many corners needed on teams now. I think he will get drafted, and I think he'll be uh, he'll be on the field next year. You'll see him in an NFL uniform playing. Um, then I have uh, I have two left. Patrick Jones, um, edge rusher from Pitt. He looks like a playmaker off the edge. Yeah. He he um, throughout the week in practice, he was going up against the best offensive lineman numerous times, and he was productive. They moved him inside and out um, throughout some of their drills. And he was really good. I only saw him lose, really lose one rep, um, and that was to the last guy on my list, uh, Quinn Miners. He's a guard slash center from Wisconsin Whitewater, Division Three school, and he was the best player on the field throughout the week in practice. He didn't lose a rep. He was dominant, strong, nasty, wore a belly shirt. You guys have all probably seen the video of him putting uh, people to the ground. Yeah. Uh, Quinn Miners was incredible all week, and he had to climb draft boards like crazy this week. So, um, a little an old farm boy from from Wisconsin that uh, is going to uh, make himself a place in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, he's got a lot of buzz for a guy who's probably going to go in the fourth or fifth round. Uh, he he may be pushing himself into the third now. But right. Uh, the other one I saw that um, jumped out to me was Carlos Basham. Boogie. Yeah. Big, physical, strong, moves pretty quickly. Uh, I think he's one of those tweeners, though. I'm not sure he's going to be a 4-3 D end all the time. Probably would be struggling against some run. But definitely somebody that can make impact against the pass. Yeah. Um, so he'll be interesting. He, uh, I had some preconceived notions about him, and uh, he, he was impressive to me with coming into the game and seeing his – to me, one of the things I look for in a pass rusher is when I'm watching, not just the flash of one or two plays, but the consistency. That's one of the th reasons, like, uh, to me, Jerry Hughes is so good. It's not one or two plays and he gets a sack or he gets a pressure. It's just constant. It's constant pressure on that side. Um, and that, to me, that's why I like. And then I saw that out of him all the time, over and over again. Yeah, he's a guy that'll be, like, right, right in that area where the Bills could be picking, so... Um, he might be a fit there right at the end of round one, beginning of round two. That's the kind of place yeah. that he's being projected right now. Um, let's move on, Tom. That was fun talking about some of these prospects. We're going to do a whole lot more of that you coming up. Yes. So um, let's take a look at some of the Waste Management Phoenix Open and uh, see what we can come up with here for uh, you know some selections. Yeah, I think uh, important always to look at last year's results, right? Webb Simpson won in a playoff over Tony Finau. Uh, and then you had Justin Thomas finished third. And then Bubba Watson and Nat, Nate Lashley tied for fourth there. So, you know, you d one of the best parts about this tournament is the fans. And unfortunately, it's going to be limited opportunity for them to be there, obviously. Um, there still are allowing some. Yeah. But uh, not, not the usual craziness, you know, of a pre-tailgate, you know, at a college. <laughs> That's right. what it seems like usually. Yeah, it's pretty wild stuff there m most times. So yeah. it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of how the 
how the field shakes out without that atmosphere and if it if it changes anything. Um, Some of these guys are probably happy, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> are you ready to make your your selections now? For, uh, for let this me. Weekend's? I I know who I like. Let me get the numbers up. Let me give you a few picks that I like this week. Um, I have some guys to finish top ten. Um, out of the guys to finish top ten, the prices are are kind of short this week. So I'm I'm not. Sh- I decided that I wasn't really going to go that angle. Um, but I'm I'm playing Hideki Matsuyama Hideki Matsuyama any way that I can this week. Historically. 2015, he finished second. 2016 and 17, he was the winner of this event. Uh, he's an c- incredibly consistent player, and I think that this is an opportunity for him to take a jump up the FedEx leaderboard this week. I anticipate him finishing in the top 10. He's only plus 190, uh, but that's certainly worth a play. I, I also have played him to win uh, this week because the price value on that. So last week, I didn't give it out on the podcast, and then I went and made some bets on, on players to win outright. I picked three players um, with with decent odds, and one of them was Patrick Reed, who came out on top. So I won about six hundred dollars on on uh, a prop bet of who would win the event. So I'm hoping to kind of cash in again in the same way this week. And uh, with Matsuyama, he is plus twenty six hundred. So I've placed a a modest twenty five dollar wager to win six hundred fifty dollars. Let's see, uh, let's see what happens here. So um, I've also <coughs> I've also used Brooks Kepka to win the event. I got Brooks Kepka in my top ten. Yeah, and th- the reason being that if Brooks Kepka's knee is feeling well, he can explode at any time. The question is, has that hindered his his game? Has that changed something fundamentally in his golf swing because of his issues with his left knee? That would be the big concern. So, you know that. I definitely have some some concerns about that, but I think he's worth it at plus fifty four hundred to win the tournament. So tremendous odds for somebody as talented as Brooks Kepka is. Um, I also have two other players that I that I put wagers on here. Um, Siwoo Kim, uh, who's playing some really good golf, plus sixty five hundred, and J B Holmes from way off the board here, a two time winner of the Waste Management Phoenix Open. It's been several years since he won, uh, like 13 years since he won there. But it's it's just a shot in the dark that, you know, an old champion that knows the course well comes out and just has a great week. Um, he's always been a steady player. And the only reason I put this wager on him is he's plus 20000 to win. So I just put a, a small $20 wager on him. And if he wins, I cash out 4000 bucks. So <laughs> <laughs> I figured... Why not take a stab at somebody who's a two-time past champion at this event? And he's still only in his 40s. It's not like he's 55 years old. So um, those are those are my plays for the Waste Management Phoenix Open this week. Yeah, I bet on three again to win to be in the top ten. Kepka was one of them, plus 425. Gary Woodland, 475. And then Matt Kuchar, plus 700. There you go. So there are some selections for the Waste Management Phoenix Open, uh, which it's always a fun event, you know. And yeah. They try. They button it up before the Super Bowl starts. Uh, they make sure that it finishes They're on really Sunday prior to that. It, yeah. yeah, so it'll be great to tune into that throughout the afternoon, so you don't have to watch the coverage drone on about how great Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady are for several hours. Yes. Onward, Tom Abbey, to Fight Night, UFC Fight Night. 
we had a week off from UFC this week. Um, Tom and I have done the same thing that we have been doing, which is uh, each selecting a fight in the prelims and in the main card. Uh, Tom, take it away. All right. So I have uh, my prelim fight I picked was Michael Johnson and Clay Guida. Um, I think this is a fun fight. I think you have two guys who are veterans, two guys who are at the tail end of their career, honestly, and then both kind of hoping to win to keep alive at the UFC. I wouldn't, would not be surprised if whoever loses this kind of gets dropped by them quietly over the next week or two. Um, Guida is lo- is one and three in his last four, and Michael Johnson's zero oh and three in his last three. Uh, just guys are really struggling. The one thing I would say that's big for me on this and this is why I'm probably going to bet Clay, is Michael Johnson's only fought twice. It's, um, in two nine, 2019, he fought. Tw- 2020, he only fought once, and he hasn't fought since then. Um, so he really has been not very busy where Guida still, you know, he, he does his thing. You just tell me when to show up, roll in, fight hard for 15 minutes, and then go home. So, yeah. Um, Hope you can get a decision. And I think I've, se- you know, you've seen Michael Johnson gas a few times. I was telling Kevin I watched a couple of his fights re- this week, and Guida does that to people. Yeah. You could punch him in the face; he'll just keep coming at you and grind out and tire you out. And I just, I kind of feel like that's going to be, um, that's the recipe for him to win. I think that's how it's going to go. His mm. pace is incredible. He just keeps coming forward. He keeps moving. Yeah. He takes punishment and keeps moving. At times, he's been caught and finished in his career, but you know he, that he creates great fights. Yeah, he, he makes it exciting. He puts pressure on the other guy and makes them uncomfortable. And I wanted to bring the line up here. I can see where you're going right here. And one of the reasons I'm saying Guido because Clay is plus one seventy five in this fight. And I think for him, it's such a nice value. Johnson, again, not fighting very often. And both styles are similar. I mean, uh, Johnson likes to play like patty cake, I like mm-hmm. to say, from from a distance. And Guida's just going to be in his face, pressing it. I, I just really like this. I think this fight lines up for Clay really well. So I like yeah. the plus 175. There you go. Uh, my, pr- my prelim fight uh, that I chose to preview this week is Danilo Marquez against Mike Rodriguez. Danilo Marquez, this is his second fight in the UFC. He won his first fight. He fought Cadiz Ibrahimov. Uh, he chased the takedown the entire fight. Once he got the takedown, he did not advance at all. He didn't do any damage, really. He kind of held Ibrahimov down, but did enough moving around so that he didn't get stood up. This was the story of all three rounds. Uh, it was unimpressive. Um, so despite the fact that he came out on top with a unanimous decision, it, it, was really, it really left something to be desired. Mike Rodriguez is a multi-tool guy that can really strike. Uh, Mike was robbed by the referee in his last fight, Chris Dione. Um, basically, he kneed Ed Herman in the body. Ed Herman collapsed and was finished, and Tyone called it a low blow, and it was not really close. Um, Herman had crumbled and covered, and then again in the second round, he kneed him again dropped him again, and was raining blows down, and Tyone refused to stop the fight. And then, so this was like in the third round now when this is happening for the second time. And uh, as Rodriguez is raining blows down, um, Ed Herman somehow grabs his arm, uh, Kamora's him, and ends up winning the fight. It was a dominant performance for 14 minutes by Mike Rodriguez. He 
actually Dana White paid Mike Rodriguez his win money because the call was so bad by Coyone. He he called it the he called it a Maserati. Um, <laughs> he said that it was the oh, no. it was one of the worst officiating calls that he had ever seen. I don't think that Rodriguez is going to be held down for three rounds, and I don't think that Marquez is going to be able to get inside and, and close the distance. Uh, Rodriguez has like an 82-inch reach. Um, he blasts kicks to the body, blasts knees, loves the tie clinch, uh, lands tremendous elbows. He's the much better striker. I think that he's going to knock out Marquez, and I think, you know, Rodriguez is favored. He's minus 245. Um, but you can bet under one and a half rounds at even basically even money. Um, but I, I feel so confident in Rodriguez coming out on top in this fight. I'll be using him heavily in my DraftKings uh, selections this week. Nice. Uh, my main card fight is going to be Corey Sanhagen and Frankie Edgar. Um, this is a fight of a veteran in Frankie Edgar who's been there, done that. He's literally fought everybody you can imagine. And Sanhagen, who's kind of on the he's on the up and up career. He's Let's see here. I have him as he's eight or thirteen and two in his career, eight and two in his last ten. Uh, with a loss, his last loss was to Aljamain Sterling, which is nothing to be ashamed of. He's he's damn good. And then Frankie Edgar, twenty three eight and one. He's six and four in his last ten, but he's fought some of those losses are to what was it Aldo, Brian Ortega, Max Holloway. Again, not not exactly people that you would uh, consider it to be upsetting that he lost them to. Um, to me, this is a a chance to see how good Sanhagen is and a chance to see if Frankie Edgar's got anything left. It's going to be the co-main event. It's going to be right before uh, the big main event, which we'll talk to here in a few minutes. And the the, the number here is crazy. Have you looked at it? Yeah, Sanhagen's favorite at minus 425. Yeah, I have it here at 450. Uh-huh. It's a crazy number. And, it, again, Edgar hasn't been looking his best lately, but he's still a guy who has been around. He has the skills to win this fight. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I think I'll probably just play a little Frankie Edgar um, just for the, I mean, 325. Yeah. On a guy who's beat everyone. Yeah. That's a really nice fight. I, I'm not sure. I think Sanhagen's the stronger, more physical guy, but I think Frankie's the more skilled, and we'll, we'll see if he's able to kind of stay away and kind of do his thing and, and make it a brawl. Yeah. It'd be interesting to, to watch that fight. I think that Edgar's getting a little long in the tooth. He's yes. had some real struggles uh, of late, but um, it's always fun to see a younger guy getting an opportunity against one of the old legends in, in the division and see if uh, Frankie can rekindle something or if Sanhagen's ready to use him as a stepping stone to a big fight. Um, my fight on the main card is Benil Dariush against Diego Fajeda. This is a rematch. Um, Dariush won by unanimous uh, decision last time. Uh, in round one, Dariush was aggressive, and he scored a takedown. Uh, he landed numerous leg kicks throughout the round. In round two, Dariush, Dariush came out and landed an early takedown. Fajeda got back up after some scrambling, um, but there was no real damage. Uh, Dariush landed another takedown. Um, every time that Fajeda switched to southpaw, Dariush would just drop and grab that lead leg and get a takedown. So... I think that there might be a little change in, in Fajeda's game plan for this fight. Uh, round three, Fajeda got off. He threw some really nice strikes um, early in the early in the uh, round, and then Dariush got him to the ground and controlled him again. So Fajeda had taken this as a short-notice fight and only his third fight in the UFC. 
Um, Dariush has a, a clear advantage in the striking. Um, maybe not power, but um, technically for sure. Um, I like Dariush to get the finish in the fight this time. It's basically a pick 'em. They've uh, Fajeda's minus one twenty. Dariush is minus one ten. You know it'll vary based on the book that you're looking at, um, but it's going to be pretty close to that. Dariush just looks so clean. He's got uh, I think four knockouts in a row, um, five wins in a row. He looks like such a great talent, and he had a spinning back, back fist knockout his last time out. Um, Fajeda, I, I mean, I think he's pretty good. He is pretty good, but I, I think Dariush is better at, at pretty much everything. Like, on the ground, Fajeda controlled some of his opponents since Dariush, but that he looked completely overmatched against Dariush on the ground. Yeah, Dariush's fun to watch. Yeah, he's explosive. He's clean. Um, Drakar Close had him in all kinds of trouble. Um, Did we watch that one together? I think so. Yeah. It's the one where Close hit him hard. Yeah. Dariush was stumbled and hurt and fired back and ended up knocking Close out. It looked like Close was going to finish. So Dariush had ridden Close's back um, in a triangle from the for like two and a half, three minutes in round one. And in round two, he said his legs were heavy. He was tired from, from riding the back of of close in that entire first round and close barely survived um you know fighting off rear naked choke after rear naked choke and then somehow Dariush was able to land a huge left hand um that hit that hit close right on the jaw and he went to sleep so um i, I really like daniel Dariush. so I, I like that too um wish the wish the money was a little better but i know i like it yeah uh, let's talk about the main event here the yeah. number five heavyweight in the world, Alistair, Demolition Man Overeem, yeah. versus number six, Alexander Volkov. I mean, what more do you want in a main event than two huge men throwing bombs? Yeah. I mean, what's your, the, what's, your what's your feel on the that's fight? It. Uh, so, if you would have asked me two, two Overeem fights ago, I would say he doesn't have a shot against the young guy. But he's been on a tear. Yeah. He's been on an absolute tear. He's 4-1 in his last five fights. And his only loss was to Rosenstruck. He's beaten Olniak, Harris, Augusto Sakai in just, like, dominating fashion. Um, he's been on a tear, and it's, it's crazy to see because I feel like I've seen this with him before where you, go, you count him out, it's the end of him, and he just starts winning a bunch of fights again. Yeah, and what's Volkov look like as of late? I, I haven't seen... Uh, Volkov is 8-2 and two in his last 10, but only 3-2 and two in his last 5. Yeah. Uh, let me go right there. His last five fights, he lost. Um, he beat Walt Harris by TKO. Before that, he lost a decision to Curtis Blades. He beat Greg Hardy by decision, lost to Derek Lewis by a knockout, and beat um, Verdun by a knockout. Those are his last five. Yeah. So really up and down, not able to string any wins together. I think that it, it it's a really – the. The fight is very close. You know, Volkov is tall. He, he he's a very large man. Yeah. Um, Overeem is a great striker. He's always been a great striker. He's and he's Dutch. What do you want? Yeah, exactly. And these guys, I think they're going to go at it. I think that Overeem's the better striker of the two. Yeah. And if he's able to land something clean, it's it's lights out. He just looks terrifying when he throws. Yeah. Strikes. And uh, um, Volkov does have some leg kicks. We have seen that, but. I, I feel like Overeem, with his background, is not 
concern. He's a kickboxing stud. Yeah, so. exactly. He's years of K one and he's got what ninety professional fights or something <laughs> yeah, like that. He's seen yeah. everything. Um, so. Yeah, Volkov six seven, Overeem six four, but Overeem's going to be the thicker fighter. Oddly enough, even though he's three inches shorter, they have the same uh, reach advantage. I just wanted yeah. to bring that up because I was actually going to bring you know talk about Volkov's reach, but it's right. a new point. So um, we're going to take a quick break now. Uh, there, there are lots of other fights on that card that'll be interesting, and you know, yes. be prepared. There'll be DraftKings lineups coming out on Saturday from us. Oh, I'm certain, sure. absolutely. So should be a lot of fun. Um, we'll be back um, after a quick break, and we'll wrap up with a little talk of the Super Bowl and Propapalooza. So we'll be back right after this. We're back, and it's time to get into some. Uh, Propapalooza, right, Tony? No, first we're going to preview the Super Bowl itself. Oh, we are? Yeah. All right. Uh, so we kind of broke it up into two halves here. When Tampa Bay has the ball, yeah. what we're kind of looking at, what we want to see, and then when the Chiefs have the ball. So we'll, we'll start with the Buccaneers. Um, I think two things jump out for me. One, how will Tampa run the ball against the Chiefs? think when they're able to run not even like great games running well but when they're able to run the ball they're definitely more successful i would say probably lions are probably out healthier than the nfl and all the football yeah. are uh but the one thing i'm really interested to see is the chiefs corners versus the bucks wideouts uh one thing that impressed me with the chiefs last game was how well they were able to cover the bills man to man for how long right um obviously the buccaneers have a different element i think you know uh evans has more size than any of the Bills wide receivers, so it, it makes it a little different. And some of those Bucks wide receivers are, are more of a jump ball, kind of go-get-it kind of people. I'll tell you, I'll be getting into this in detail when we start talking about our props. Yeah, but I, I think it's definitely what I'm interested to see when Tampa has the ball, how much, uh, how how in check can the, the Chiefs secondary kind of keep them. Yeah, the, the big thing for me is uh, can they create pressure up the middle with Chris Jones? Chris Jones, yeah. Um, forcing the issue for Tom Brady. Yeah. I think that if Tom Brady has a clean pocket, he's going to have time and, and opportunity to find guys open. Uh, so I think that, to me, the key to the game is the interior pass rush from Kansas City. You don't have to worry about containing the edge, and historically it's always been how much pressure can you get without bringing the blitz against Tom Brady. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that could be the story of that side of the ball. Um, when Kansas City has the ball? Yeah. What I'm going to be watching is the line play. I'm going to be looking to see how well Kansas City's offensive line holds up with the injury to Eric Fisher. Um, you know, the offensive line hasn't been their strongest point anyways uh, throughout the course of the season. Uh, Mahomes says that his foot is feeling better. That could just be, you know, he, he ran the ball one time for eight yards last week, I think. Yeah. Um, Didn't really have to run right. much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I anticipate, you know, kind of a similar – output in the running game from Mahomes. I don't think you're going to see him taking off and running too much. So, uh, you know, I'm very interested to, to watch the, the performance in this game and, and kind of see what that – because that Tampa pass, uh, pass rush has been spectacular for the course – for much of the season, and it really played a big role in their victory last week. So, to me, that is the, the piece that I'm going to be watching most closely because I think it has such a domino effect on the rest of the game. Yeah, the two things I'm looking for when the Chiefs have the ball, um, the first one is going to be the 
the Buccaneers linebackers. I, I mean, their linebackers are nasty. And it'll be very interesting to see them kind of one-on-one. You know, Kelsey's a big yeah. threat. Um, Chiefs run a lot of misdirection. You know, Devin White, Levante David, very good linebackers. Are they able to keep them in check? And then can the safeties keep Tyree Kill from blowing the roof off the place? I think those are the two big things I'm I'm looking for. Uh, the the linebacker matchup really is the one that intrigues me the most. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you know as as we go through the course of the game and uh, we watch those matchups unfold, it's really gonna those are gonna be telling as to yeah. the final outcome of the game. It's so everyone watches the ball so closely in the NFL now um, that you kind of lose track of some of the small pieces of the game that make a big difference in the outcome. So. Um, I'm excited. I, I can't wait to see this matchup. I think it's a really good one. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. And now it is time for prop and producer. All right. Let's go. Um, I'll jump right in if you yeah, want. Go ahead. So uh, just in case you're not aware of how we're going to do this, we're each going to pick or kind of disclose our five favorite props um, for the Super Bowl. A uh, lot of fun. Let's hear what you got here. Let's All right. Start off here. Uh, first prop for me. It's uh, total passing yards in the game. I got it at under 635 and a half, and I got that at plus 105. Uh, I think that that number is really, really inflated. Obviously, the, the names involved in the game are, are so big, but if you watch the performance of some of the, these teams last week in particular, it's not like Mahomes threw for a million yards. You know, what was he at, like 280-something? I, I don't think it was a monstrous number. Uh, my point being, I think that, that both teams are going to try to establish the run much more than what you'd expect out of two teams that are very good at passing the ball. So also, historically, in Super Bowls, the first quarter starts out extraordinarily slow. Yes, feeling out process. And that feeling out process can really slow down the, the pace of the yards gained. Yeah. So, for me, I like under 635.5 total passing yards in the game. I like it. Uh, mine's similar in that it's passing related. My first one, I have Tom Brady under 39.5 attempts. That's a lot of attempts. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the way he gets, I mean, there is a path for that. Kansas City gets out to a big lead. Tampa Bay plays catch up all night. Yeah. But I think if Tampa Bay is within a score or 10 points the the, the game, they're not throwing it that often. They like to mix the run. Um, neither of these teams blister with pace either. Uh, so I, I, I think I like the Brady under 39.5. Good. I have two in a row now that are both Patrick Mahomes related. Um, so I'll give you both of those. Yeah. Mahomes passing yards under 329.5. Again, this is a situation where Tampa Bay's strength defensively is their pass rush. So I expect not only quick passes, which can break with the, the athletes that are on Kansas City, uh, but also more draw plays, more like, you know, run play stuff going on, because I don't think that they want Mahomes as a sitting duck back there with Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul coming at him. Vita Vea makes it interesting because they'll make it hard to run the ball, but I think the more you spread them out and, and hand off on the draw plays and the short passes, and I, I expect kind of one of those dink and dunk performances out of Mahomes and not really the explosion plays downfield. So that's why I like Mahomes under 329.5. Uh, the second one, 
Mahomes' longest rush under 11 and a half yards. I saw this one. I thought bad foot. Yeah, he's, he's got a foot issue. He's not going to take major risks trying to extend for 15, 16 yards. If he breaks out of the pocket, takes off up the middle, he'll get enough for the first down and slide. He's not going to – I don't think that you're going to see a bunch of risk-taking out of him in the running game in particular. He rushed the ball one time last week, and it was out of necessity. So I think it's a similar situation here. I really don't think that his running game is going to be a big part of this. And I think that if it is, he might pick up five, six yards and slide. He might step out of bounds, you know, if he gets down the sideline. So, again, under 11.5, I thought this was a good play. Yeah, I like it. Um, I'm going my coin toss. Okay. I love the coin toss. Because it's 50-50? No, because it's random. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the coin toss this year, out of the Super Bowl, 25 times heads, 29 times tails. The last two years in a row it's been tails. I'm on heads, and I'm on heads big. Um, then uh, either team to score three unanswered. This is a weird one to me because when I read the prop, I thought I had a I had an idea of a number, and it's completely the opposite. Either team to score three unanswered times. No is plus two hundred. Right. So it happens so much. They score three yeah. consecutive times. But in this in the in this at sense, sure. But we also have seen a lot of blowouts in Super Bowls. Yeah. I don't expect this necessarily to be a blowout. And seeing three in a row, I like the plus 200 for it not to happen, right? Yeah. Uh, team, oh, I'll, I'll go one more here real quick. Um, most rushing yards, I have the Bucks having the most rushing yards. I think they're going to be the team that um, is committed the most to the run. They have Fournette. They have Jones. They're both capable of breaking one. And I think that um, – if Mahomes was healthier and able to move around a little bit, I think you may give this edge to the Chiefs. But I like the, I just feel like the Bucks run the ball more and make a concerted effort to run the ball more. And you try to keep Mahomes off the field. Yes, you know, so that I think the Bucks' both- line is super underrated coming yeah. into this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I have two in a row here that I'm going to give you because they are also kind of correlated. When you watch and you look back on the last two games in the playoffs for the Chiefs. Yeah. Stephon Diggs, his performance wasn't overwhelming. He's, he got some late receptions, yeah. like in, in the, the late rally attempt by Buffalo. Uh, but for the most part, they had kind of shut him down for basically three quarters of the football game. Who were the guys that he was finding? He was finding Cole Beasley and Dawson Knox. Yeah. You've got your slot receiver and your tight end. So I'm going to play – overs for the slot receiver and the tight end for Tampa. The same thing happened in uh, the Cleveland game. The receivers catching the ball, Jarvis Landry, he plays a slot style, right? He's he's the quick, speedy receiver yeah. um, that makes the crossers over the middle and um, David Njoku and Austin Hooper combined for six receptions in that game. Tells me that the tight ends and the slot receivers are the vulnerability in the Kansas City defense because those outside guys do a pretty good job against the primary receivers. Tom Brady is someone who is not afraid to throw it to anyone. He will throw it to the open guy. And if the open guy is Antonio Brown, who I am playing for over 45 and a half receiving yards, yeah. or Rob Gronkowski, who I am playing for over two and a half receptions, 
That's it for Rob. Yeah, over two and a half receptions. Those two plays are my two favorite plays of the, of the props. Um, I, I think that he's going to look to those guys. He doesn't have to hit Godwin and, and Evans. And those are the guys, that's where the focus of the of the defense is going to be for Kansas City. So I'm looking for Gronkowski. Maybe even uh, Cameron Brait gets involved a bit. Yeah. Uh, Scotty Miller, Antonio Brown, those are the guys that I expect to be making plays for Tampa in this Super Bowl. So I really like the over for both of those guys. Receptions for Gronkowski, receiving yards for Antonio Brown. My last one is, well, oh, Kevin, play along with me for a minute. Sure. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Yeah. What would you expect the total yards for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire prop to be set at? Um, well, he's had some injury stuff. Um, he's get he's had some run share stuff. I would think that maybe they'd have the number of touches set around 10, may, maybe around like 45 and a half, 50. 60 and a half. Yeah. 60 and a half. Yeah. Give me the under. Yeah. Give me the under. I think 60 and a half is a lot. I think, you know, mid-season. Uh, and, and maybe I'll I switch this if we get closer and they're talking about how healthy he is. But from all accounts, he's still a little working up. through stuff. It's it's yeah. not a, a gimme right now. Mm-hmm. So give me the under. I expect them to, you know, move the ball around a little differently. Well, Daryl Williams has been the most effective runner on that team. Yeah. And Le'Veon Bell has the experience to step in there and make plays so absolutely i don't see a path to playing the over with edwards Hilaire. no 16 and a half is a lot when you're not con- ex- expecting him to play half the game and he's yeah he's not exclusive you know yeah. there there are two other guys who are going to take parts yep. of those snaps so uh for me i'm not a big fan of the over yeah, in that he game. catches balls but he's not part of the passing game if that makes right. any sense it's not like design catches most of the time it's like all right we need to see the big guy yeah all right so that's it. Let's make some oh, Super Bowl picks. Super Bowl picks, yeah. I got I got the two. I got an over under and a and a line. What's the over under set at right now, Tom? Fifty six. Fifty six. This is what I had it on at today. All right. Um, do you have your selection ready? Yes. I have. You want me to just do all of them? Go ahead. Fire away. I got Kansas City covering the minus three and a half. But the game staying under 56, I have it 26-21, Kansas City. Okay. Yeah, that's um, we're on the same page. Um, yeah. My final score selection is Kansas City 30, Tampa Bay 24. So I have under and Kansas City covering as well. Yeah. There's There's been a lot of credit given to uh, – I hear so many people on Tampa right now. A lot of people Three are – Three and a half is enticing with Tom Brady for sure. Too many people are enticed by that half point. Did you know sure. teams that are favored by three and a half hit at such a higher rate than the team that is the underdog at three and a half? Yeah. It's insane. Like they are – they hit – minus three and a half hits at like a 62, 63% clip. Teams that yeah. are plus three and a half hit at like 38%. It's just an interesting nugget, not that it has anything to do with the outcome of this game. <laughs> right, right, just overall. Yeah, so I, I, I really like the way that Kansas City's been playing. I think that they played really, really well They're last week. They're so hard to stop. They, I mean, they didn't have to even consider. It. When they're on the field against Buffalo, you, you felt like every time they got the ball, they were going to go score. They could score, yeah. Anytime. Unless they do something. They that, had that's have, how it felt. You had to have some kind of weird mistake. 
um, you'd had to have a turnover. You'd had to have a penalty. Yeah. You know, something. A drop. Would have, yeah. Something yeah. would have to set them back. And when you get that feeling, Kansas City's hitting their stride again. I think Tampa will do a good job to hang in the game. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to count out Tom Brady and and crew. Um, they have a talented team around him. Yeah. And. You know, I, I may be rooting for that side, but uh, my prediction is that Kansas City is going to come out on top, and they're going to cover the spread, um, thirty to twenty-four. All right, we're we're very close on this. I, yeah. I like it. Yeah. And for the record, we did not disclose these uh, beforehand. This is our no. first time hearing each other's shots here. Absolutely. So um, next week, a lot of fun on the show. I think. Obviously, we'll have a Super Bowl recap. We're gonna Pebble Beach is next week. Yeah, that's super exciting. UFC pay per view two fifty eight, Usman versus Burns. A yeah. lot of fun there, and we start our path to the draft with our first preview of AFC East needs. All right, all four rosters break down a little bit what we see as as something that they may need to do better to improve. Absolutely, sounds good, guys. Can't wait to get back next week. Can't wait to watch the Super Bowl. Get ready for some DraftKings to come out uh, via Twitter this week, um, some DraftKings selections. And, uh, you know, I'll try to, you know, keep active a little bit during the Super Bowl if we can um, with some tweets about what we're seeing happen during the Super Bowl. Um, I'll leave the commercial talk for Tom because I want to put a crash on him. Yeah, I love all that stuff. Yeah. So I love all, all right. the randomness that comes with the Super yeah. Bowl. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, good luck. Wager responsibly. And uh, we'll see you all next week. See you.